Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. For those who are visitors and you came here, um, and you were not here last week, we, uh, we had this sermon and I was not able to finish it. And so the last point is what we will be talking about today. But let me just give you uh, the overview of the sermon uh, on this part of the qualifications of the eldership. We are looking at these three things, sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. And we see last week that all these three uh, qualifications are centered on God's Word. And we understand that the gospel, when we get to understand the, the gospel and we are driven by the gospel, um, we would love the truth of God in such a way that our minds are illumined by the truth, our hearts are controlled by the truth. And thirdly, um, and this is what we will be looking at today, our lives will be ordered by the truth. We learned last week that an elder or a mature Christian, um, so to speak, is, is one who is not slothful in the study of God's Word. I hope we, we were able to take it home uh, with us that a mature person, especially an elder in the church or any aspiring elder in the church, does not settle down with generalities. We know that there is a problem with this, but we do not diligently study the Word of God in our culture so that we would know the details of why there is a problem uh, on certain issues. So if, if you may, a true mature Christian would not stop studying God's Word until everything is clear to him. And it makes us realize that many times we are not acting as mature Christians. We hear issues, for example, in the Philippines and and we content ourselves, we settle down with understanding that there is a problem with this, but we do not, we do not really, you know, uh, we, we leave some stones um, uh, unturned. And we just know that there is a problem, but we do not know what the problem really is. That's not what a mature Christian is. And secondly, we see that a mature Christian or an elder or aspiring elder, any aspiring elder in the church, they are controlled by the Word and the Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is not to give us mystical experiences, although there is always mystery when it comes to God. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to illumine our hearts so we may understand the Word and then enables us so that we might be able to yield to Him. Um, Self-control is not something that we produce Self-control is produced by yielding to the Holy Spirit. And now that leads us to the third point that we were supposed to have, and that is being respectable. Being respectable. And I would say a respectable person has his life ordered by the truth. A truth-ordered life. How hard is it to obey God? How hard is it to obey God? And I would say, how hard is it to obey God in a world that does not celebrate obedience but greatness? Have you noticed that our world does not celebrate obedience, it celebrates greatness? If you want to be celebrated, you need to to be a great athlete. If you want to be celebrated, you need to have great wealth. You need to have great success. Or if you may, if you want to be celebrated in the Christian circle today, you need to have a great mind. You're posting that talks about how you have repented about your sin. You will not get as much hearts and likes as you would if you would quote a certain theologian. Na nakita mo naman lang din yung quote na pinost ng another person and it's if you have read the book of Augustine. 
Because this is our culture that celebrates greatness instead of obedience. We find ourselves wanting to be great as well that we might be celebrated. And while those who are living their lives to obey the Lord are left unnoticed on one corner. Many missionaries today who give their lives to the work of the gospel are unknown. We do not even know them and we do not even care what they're doing in the tribes that God has placed them. Our culture makes it harder for us who are filled with our pride as well to obey God. And notice carefully, it is for this reason, it is for this reason that while we might, make, might have made advances as to being significant, to being insignificant, we don't want to be insignificant, we want to be significant, we are not making progress in our sanctification. Do we have um, a truth-ordered or respectable life? What What is it that shapes our lives? Is it the truth or, to be honest, the culture that we are living? Now, a person that is shaped by the culture cannot be an elder in the church. The beauty of the gospel is that it does not just lead to the renewing of the minds and the controlling of our hearts. The gospel also leads us to our transformation. It puts our disorderly lives, it puts our disorderly lives in order. Now, this is the third one. Again, respectable, a truth ordered life. Or this one should not be surprising. At this point of our sermon, this should not be surprising. If our mind has been renewed and our hearts has been controlled by the Holy Spirit and the Word, then it is expected that we are living in the truths of Christ. We understand the will of God in every situation, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to apply that in our lives, Then our lives should be orderly today. And think about it. Is our lives in order? Is it uh, a blessing to others? Or it is out of order, like a toilet, who's supposed to serve people, but you cannot do your thing there because it is out of order. Philip Towner, a very good commentator, said, respectable, refers uh, to observable behavior that corresponds to inner self-control. It corresponds to outside observable behavior that speaks of the inner self-control. So a well-ordered life or a well-ordered inner life, if there's truly, if there's true peace in our hearts, if within us is not chaos but order, If there is harmony within, then we need not to tell people about it because our ordered life should speak about it. To be respectable somehow flows from being sober-minded and self-controlled. So in this particular point, here's the one sentence. There's the one sentence, and at the end of the day, you would think, we listened to you, Pastor, for one are, but this is all that you get got from us. Yes, this is all that I got for you today. A respectable life is a truth-ordered life that commands respect from others. A respectable life is a truth-ordered life. There's so many. We have to unpack that one. A truth-ordered life, um, how can we say that it is? And what shapes it? And how can we have it? Because we need to have that one because it is the life that commands respect. It is, our, it is not us. It is not our words that commands respect. It is our lives that commands respect. 
although I would not be asking this question, as we move with our sermon, I'd like you to know that our sermon will progress through these questions. What is being respectable? What shapes a respectable life? What is the heart of a respectable life? How can we have a respectable life? That's how we would develop this sermon. We will define, we will show what is a respectable life and what shapes that respectable life, what is the heart of it, and how can we develop it. The idea of the word respectable is that others will see our ordered lives as worthy of respect. Ordered lives as worthy of respect. The word has the connotation of being dignified. You're a dignified person. When Pastor Rex uh, Pedrosa preached to us when we were still with our uh, former church, and I was driving him to Shangri-La BGC because uh, he, wa- he was billeted there. He got a hotel for himself. And so I was, I was giving him a ride. And when we got there, there were so many militaries and policemen around um, uh, Shangri-La. And then we, we learned that the dignitaries from other nations were here in the Philippines at that time. And most of them were billeted at Shangri-La BGC. I was joking, um, uh, Pastor Rex, that he must have been so important that they are all waiting for him, for his arrival. But when we get there, I w- when I was about to drop him, I saw a lot, a lot of these dignitaries with their suits and their ties. They were dignified people. And yes, to be a dignitary involves more than how one dresses himself, but we certainly identified them because they were properly dressed. Being properly dressed is a picture where we can understand what being respectable means. In fact, this word respectable, I think this is only used twice in the New Testament. In our text today, chapter 3, verse 2, and the other one is also in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Remember when Paul said that the women in the church should dress respectably. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, we realize that Paul, when Paul further explained how women should dress in the church, he said they should dress as one who is properly dressed. Proper. Look at those words. Order. And generally speaking, we respect those that is properly done, isn't it? It commands respect from us when we get to a place where it is neat and order and in order. We somehow act differently, suddenly, when we get to a place that we feel like it's a beautiful place. The place commanded it. During the wedding of Roy and Jet, I felt like you who were there have transformed into different people. You with your neat and orderly dress has, have somewhat became a respectable person. That speaks of what this respectability that we're talking about here. However, although a a respectable person might dress properly, it does not end there. There's more to a respectable person, isn't it? There's more to a respectable person. He is not only neat and orderly in the way he dresses, the way he does things, but more so and more importantly with his life. We see a, a, a politician for the first time and, and kagalang-galang, we give him our respect until we watch the news about their corrupt lives and we quickly lose our respect. And so that is telling us that when we talk about our respect, we need to have a respectable life. Being properly dressed is only a metaphor of what a respectable person is. 
There is a cloth in Scripture that we are commanded to cloth ourselves with that makes us truly respectable. And Paul said this should be what you need to wear if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. If you understand the gospel, you should be clothed by by these things. Elsewhere, Paul said, Colossians 3, 12 to 13, put on then as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. That is what a respectable person, that is what he clothed himself with. Which I want us to dig deeper later on, but for now, it is it is enough that we understand that when we talk about being respectable, it is not simply that we are neat and orderly in our house, although I hope so. It is not only that we are neat and orderly with how we do things. I remember my fleet manager when I was still working back then, and I have a high respect on her, because she was the fleet manager of the company until I visited her office. And papers were all around her. Although I am amazed because if you would say, Ma'am, where's my whatever you're looking for? He was like, how can he find all from all these papers and he would certainly locate them? Amazing. It's amazing, but it's not a respectful thing. Yes, in in how we do things, there should be a growing order. But as I have said, it does not stop with how we do things. It is really an orderly life. It is an orderly life. How can we respect an abusive husband, for example? How can we respect a person who cares nothing but pleasures? How can we respect a young person who cannot get his act together? But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. I have witnessed a lot of you growing into maturity. In one of our discipleship, I said I never realized that you are no longer the immature person that I once knew. You have become a responsible and mature person person that I need to respect. I was carrying you then. I was putting the diapers on you and, you know, making your milk so you can drink milk. But now you are helping carry the burden of the church. Isn't that beautiful? I asked for um, for his approval, if I can use his testimony. But I, and he said yes. I remember Zed, when he was in the church, when he first came in the church, he was with his long dreadlock hair. And the last thing I want to think of him at that time is he would eventually be considered as an elder in the church. But as we move along, we I heard how he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when one of us shared the gospel to him. And then I I began to see how radical he was. I can still remember when he was interviewed for a job, but he still managed to share the gospel to the person who was interviewing him by giving a truck. And then we saw him committing to the work of the Lord. And when we ask our worship leader, women worship leaders before to step, to stop leading in worship, because we believe those who should lead us in worship in the singing of the songs should be men, he stepped up and took the challenge. And I said yesterday, you know what, bro, when you exhort, I saw how you have grown in your exhortation. I remember JC, that one I did not ask for 
Um, or it's <laughs> who came from the province who was just looking for a job. Very young, very youth, part of our youth ministry. They're crying so many times because Manila is hard and he wants to go home. But to see him now leading us, and I was telling our 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 um, elders in training, um, I invite you to take a look on JC. Um and consider him if he is ready to be an elder in training in the church. Their lives have started to command respect. Because what commands respect is not very not our very own words, but our very lives. If there is anything that is clear at this point of our sermon, to be a respectable person means there is order in our lives so that others will find this worthy of respect. Are we still the happy-go-lucky person who just do whatever we want to do and that orderly is the last thing that will describe our lives because we see nothing but disorder? I'm not saying there's no hope for us because we all have been disorderly. And the beauty of the gospel is that we we would always have hope that God will continue to work in our lives and putting order into our lives. We sleep and wake up whenever we want, and there is really no discipline developed yet. If we are growing in the faith, we should see developing discipline in our lives. We love the Puritans. And we love the Puritans not because of their piety per se. We love the Puritans because they understand that if one understands the gospel, it does not mellow down piety and holiness. It actually fuels it. It actually brings our heart burning for holiness and purity. We should see a developing control in our speech. We should see a developing order with how we work. We should see a growing order in the life of an aspiring elder in the church. It's about our lives. So we have to be examining our lives. Now, if being respectable has nothing to do or has something to do with our orderly lives, the question is, what should shape the life of an elder? And for this matter, for all of us, what should shape our lives? Christianity is not whatever will be, will be. There is an object. There is a model. There is a prototype. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If being respectable is living a life that commands respect from others, what should shape the life of a respectable person? And of course, one of the double honor, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, where we are told that the elder in the church is worthy of double honor. And we understand that one of the double honors that should be given to an elder is respect. It's respect. But we can safely conclude from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, that we would know that an elder is respectable because his life is worth imitating. If, if people says, I respect you, but I don't want to be like you, that's not a biblical respect. Biblical respect is when when people respect you and they want to be like you. This is what we find in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where the writer of the book of Hebrews exhorted the people whom he was writing to to imitate the life of their departed leaders. 
Hebrews 13, verse 7, it reads, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. These leaders have died already. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, remember them. Remember them. Particularly, he said, consider the outcome of their lives. Consider. The word consider there is not giving us an option. It is not like saying, you may want to consider this, though you have already made a decision. That's not the word consider. Consider here means to think deeply, to contemplate, to examine. That's the word there. So the life of these elders, if you try to look at the context of this, the life of these elders who died already, not necessarily by execution, was that of faithfulness. They were faithful unto death, despite of how hard it was to hold on to the faith. Their lives were marked by, by faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And the writer tells us that their faithfulness was actually, and this is where I want us to see there, their faithfulness was actually the outcome of the message of the gospel that they preached. It was an outcome. He said, consider the outcome of their lives. Outcome from what? Outcome from what they preached. Outcome from what they've known and preached to you. Look at their lives. This is foundational to what we have here is foundational to a life that is well-ordered. Because before we will talk about the details of our lives, we need to see the underlying or inner order which the gospel produces. The reason why one is living his life rightly is because he has learned that Jesus, by his sacrifice for us, is preeminent, is above all things, so that his commitment in life is to obey him till death. This is the elders here. Unless the order from ourself is the king to Jesus dethroning self, and he is now in the throne of our hearts, we cannot expect that our lives will be put in order. Why? The basic thing in us, in our hearts, is not yet in order. It has not been placed to what or it should be. Are you getting me? The first thing when we talk about orderly is that our hearts will be put in order, which means Jesus is the Lord of our hearts. So I've said we could not expect, how could I expect that I would live in purity when I am tempted with lust? I will choose myself. I will choose to indulge myself. How can I expect that there would be order in my life when I am tempted to cheat? Myself is king, so I obey my king instead of Jesus. Self should be dethroned in the throne of our hearts and let Jesus be king. If this is not put in order, we cannot expect outward order in our lives. For all we know, or before I move on, it's good to ask ourselves, has that very thing, the foundation of order, has been put in the right place. Are you still king? Or Jesus is king? For all we know, the respect given to us, especially in the community, is not much of our gifts as it is the faithfulness that they see in our lives. They said that these departed leaders, that the writer of the book of Hebrews pointed here, we're like seen as legends in the church. No, up until today, we talk about Martin Luther. 
They were like legends, and we are called to look at our legends. We remember John Knox. We remember John Calvin. We remember John Haas. And if there is something that is true to all of them, they were all faithful. They were all faithful. And yes, they, these leaders surely had a profound theology, but it was their faithfulness that earned the respect of the church so that the writer of the book of Hebrew was certain that the church will resonate with this exhortation for them to imitate the lives of their departed leaders. They will resonate. Like It's not hard for them to say, I should imitate their lives because they were legends in, in, in terms of their faithfulness. They suffered a lot for the gospel, but they remained faithful until death. The highest respect that we can give to an elder, as Paul said, imitate me. As I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. One should understand first the gospel of Christ. So that. His life. Or so that he wants to offer his life to God. If, in, if, if hindi po ito mangyayari. Where we understand the mercy of God. And we offer our lives as a reasonable sacrifice. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Forget about Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Hebrews 12 verse 1 should happen first. So that Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we obey God instead of the culture. Are, are you humbled by what Jesus has done in the cross? Has the truth about your sinfulness on this part of the valley and seeing the grace of God greater on the other side of the valley, does this gospel, did this gospel humble your hearts and consume your heart so that you know exactly there is nothing I want to do in my life with this whole life but to obey God and offer my life to Him? It is then that if our hearts is like that, if it is humbled by the gospel and consumed by the gospel, then we are ready which Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul was exhorting to people who desire nothing but to worship God with their lives. He said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. And perfect. When one enthrones Christ as supreme in his life, he lives in a peculiar way. He lives in a unique way, a certain kind of way, if you may. He's not like the rest of the people. He is not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but he worships God by his transformed life. We love singing. We love congregating together. But you see, our very worship to God, our reasonable worship, our logical worship, because of what Jesus has done, is to live in a manner that displays the value of what Christ has done. And what displays the value of what Christ has done is our transformed lives. His life is transformed, or as far as our subject matter today, well-ordered. Because what used to be like the world, his life, his thinking, his thinking has been renewed so that what made sense to us, what makes sense to us today, is no longer the patterns of this world. What makes sense to us is the will of God. We see the will of God as good, pleasing, and perfect. Because the will of God makes sense to us already, I hope so. He will choose, we will choose the will of God 
in every situation. And think about how important is this, because as we keep on choosing the will of God, his life, our lives are changed. It is it, it was once disorderly, but now it is increasingly put in order. We are transformed. So as a respectable person, it is not simply being neat and orderly in the things that we do, but our lives are shaped by the truth. Our lives are shaped by the truth. When one always seeks to see, seeks to see what the truth of the scripture says in a given situation and yields to the Holy Spirit who leads him to what is right, then his life would be shaped by the truth. See, if we are desiring to have an orderly life or respectable life, we should ask ourselves, is Christ sitting at the throne of our hearts? If we want an orderly, transformed, and respectable life, is he truly, is Jesus truly the Lord of all things, of our lives? Is he preeminent? Is he above all things? Because unless Christ is preeminent, we could not expect ourselves to consistently obey his word. And if we are not obeying his word, then our lives will never be placed in order. You can be decent. We can be decent. But it doesn't mean, at least as far as Scripture is concerned, that we, our lives are truly lived well unless we are simply living our lives to obey Christ. To obey Christ. When we are tempted to lust, is Christ Lord, our Lord, so that we choose holiness. When we are tempted to boast in our successes, is Christ Lord over our lives so that we choose humility? When we are tempted to choose ourselves, is Christ Lord over our lives so that we choose to obey him? If we are provoked because someone cut us when we were driving in Edsa, is Christ Lord over our lives so that we choose humility? Yes, our lives should be orderly, but an orderly life is shaped by the truth. But like Jesus, but like Jesus, who gave the second greatest commandment, though he was only asked the greatest, said, love your neighbor as yourself. We then understand that this is not simply how our lives look like, but it's also talk about our motivation. We realize then that being orderly or respectable is not merely being organized with our things or even with how we dress up, but we order things because we want to serve God the good of others. This is the order in Scripture, isn't it? The order in Scripture is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. A respectable person is not just neat and orderly. The real order, as far as scripture is concerned, is that you love God preeminently, and the result of that is you do all things for the good of others. If our orderly, or being orderly, is not geared towards the good of others, it will not be a blessing. Not be a blessing. One cannot be a respectable person simply because of how good he might be with what he is doing. If, if he's doing all these things for boasting, for example. So a person is very neat and orderly. In fact, he, he accomplished a lot. But if he's doing all these things for self-exaltation, can you respect that person? A person's Life is truly put in order so that he is respectable when he no longer does things for self-exaltation, but for the building up of others. This is what most who desire to be respected 
do not understand. They do everything to prove how good they are, but they did not get the true respect because true respect is given when one person does all things, or at least at the bare minimum, or at least the portion, posture of the heart, the motive behind everything he does is not for self-exaltation, but for building up of others. When Paul asked the Corinthians to put order in the service because God is a God of order, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33, it is so that the use of the gifts will be for the common good. Verse 33 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it reads, For not for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, but of order. And remember the context is that everyone will just speak in tongues. Everyone will just, will just prophesy. And there was disorder in the gathering. And Paul said, no, you have to put order into it. But at the heart of 1 Corinthians 14, even 1 Corinthians 13, even 1 Corinthians 12, is the understanding of what, what is the purpose of the gifts. And the purpose of the gifts is not so that you would do that, so that others will look at you and say, oh, you're so spiritual. And exalt yourself. No, that the purpose of the gifts, you're given a gift so that you can use it in building up others. We then understand as far as order is concerned, is that there is order when we do things for the good of others. The true order of God is love. The whole law, according to Paul, in Romans chapter 4, 13, 8 to 10, and Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the whole law is summarized by love. A truly respectable man whose life is truly in order does everything primarily for the good of others. Does primarily for the good of others. Here's the right order. Paul said. Here's the right order. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's the right order. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. The moment you just look onto your own interest, you are not in order. But you also have to look on the interest of others. This should be at the heart of any physical order that others might observe from us. Or else we might be so organized and neat, but we are not a blessing to others. You know what this saying to us? We can, we can stand after the service and we come to church with our Sunday's best and we can be neat and clean. But again, if we are men in the church and we just stare at those women who is carrying um, um, our tables, for example, how can we be a respectable man? Even if we talk in a very mild manner, I remember before my, my, my discipler went to the U.S., he went back several years back, and when we were talking, um, he noticed some form with the way I, I, I spoke. And he said, you're so mild and gentle in your ways. But really, when I heard that one, there was so much pride in my heart. We can be very gentle and mild in our, in our words, but it doesn't mean there is right order within. So organizing our things, the way we do things, is a means to an end. Organizing our church, 
is a means to an end. And the end is that we want to honor God and we want to serve people. We want to show love. Do we, ourse- do we see ourselves growing in putting others ahead of us? I see we cannot think of anything when we cannot think of anything but ourselves. Do you think we live our lives rightly? Of course not. So let us not fancy ourselves into thinking that just because we earn decently and we live in a decent place and we wear decent clothes, that our lives are truly in order before God and before men. However, when all these blessings of God, when all these blessings of God, and we see them as empowering us to be a blessing to others, now we are talking about being a respectable man. We should all be growing in this area, isn't it? We should see ourselves growing in generosity to give ourselves to others. Aspiring elders in the church, because we are talking about aspiring elders. We should excel in putting others ahead of ourselves. We should excel in putting others ahead of ourselves. Respectable order, elders, put order in their lives and everything they do, not as an end in itself, but that they can serve others better <laughs> right the, the 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 prospect of being able to serve others better should be the driving force why we want to put order in everything we do isn't it isn't it that if if our lives is not orderly we cannot truly serve others So an orderly man, yes, there are, there's order in his life, but his life is shaped by the gospel. He does all of these things for Christ, and he does all things to build up other people. <laughs> so we looked into what is the respectable man, what shapes the life of a respectable man, and what is the heart of the order in the life of a respectable man. I hope the question that is running right now in your mind is how can we have it? I want to be that respectable man. How can I slowly become respectable? Here's the thing, and listen to this carefully. First thing you need to do is to go to the mountain pretty hard and eat banana. The result of that is not becoming respectable, but becoming kibuloy. Now, the reason why I'm saying that one is because we use, we think I want to be like that and we want to go somewhere because we are so acquainted with mystical experience. It is not mystical experience. It is ordinary means of grace. It is ordinary means of grace. Attend service, study the word, obey the word. That is the means of grace that will lead us to a respectable life. James, the brother of Jesus Christ, Outlined to us the way to put our lives in order. He outlined to us how we may put our lives in order. James 1, 19 to 25. Let me quickly read this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's the order, producing the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, receive with humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself or yourselves for If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man 
who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer forgets that a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Consistent, steady over the word, to obey it instead of the desire of our flesh is the road to a well-ordered life. <laughs> Let me say that again. Consistent study of the word to obey it instead of the desires of our flesh is the road to the well-ordered life. Now, James was exhorting these Jewish believers who were angry to these rich people who claimed to be believers But all they did was to oppress the poor. They were inside the church. He was exhorting to these Jewish believers to let not their anger rule them, but choose to submit to the word. Choose to submit to the word. In the mind of James, sanctification is the goal of the life of a Christian. You must have, you must live righteously before God. But he said, anger would never lead you to righteousness. Envy would never lead you to righteousness. We look at others and you say, wow, they know a lot. I should also study because they know a lot. Envy will never lead to righteousness. What they need is to submit to the word of God, verse 21. To which James clarified that if we are submitting to the word of God or true submission to the word is not merely to study it, but to obey it. Verse 22 down. To stop with studying, for James to stop with studying and not proceed to obeying will not produce righteousness too. It will not produce righteousness. It is for this reason that James somewhat said, Don't be silly to think that you will be changed simply because you see your face in the mirror. It is silly to think that you will expect transformation in your life simply because you read and read the Bible and other books and you read this, but you do not have any intention to obey it. James finds it silly. If you will not proceed and apply the word of God, you will remain the same. For James, at the end, this is the epitome of foolishness. Come to think of it, this is a proverbial statement. Basically, James patterned this to Proverbs. And it's like saying the foolish person is one reading the word every day but do not have any intention to obey it in his life. We will not be blessed by God if we are hearers and not doers. If we want God to bless us so that our action will produce righteousness, then keep on obeying what you have understood in the word. There is no mystical way or I would say magical shortcut to ordering our lives that we might be respectable, but our ordinary constant obedience to the word. Yes, our intimate fellowship with God is very, very important. Yes and amen to that. But sometimes we might just experience it on the other side, not before we obey, but after we obey. We keep on waiting for, I don't know what we're waiting, for some feelings and emotionally charged so that we obey. And many of us, it's exactly the reason why we are stuck somewhere. Because maybe what we are looking for, the sweetness of God's fellowship, is on the other side of obedience.
Obviously, if we have sweet fellowship with God, it is easier to obey. It is a joy to obey. I'm not discounting the fact. But when it is absent, what would we do? Should we stay in our lust? Should we stay in our greed? Should we stay in our pride? Should we stay in our unbelief because we feel dry? No, we we do not have to stay there. We have to acknowledge that our sins before God so that we can ask God to help us turn from their sins. Sorry, from our sins. And start obeying him. Because James said, those who are doers of the word will be blessed. In other words, if you look at this text, we cannot keep on studying the word of God day and night, but we choose to stay with our anger. We cannot study the word of God and we are amazed at it, but we stay with the sins in our hearts. James said, receive instead the meekness, with meekness, the implanted word. Don't let the flesh rule over you so that you obey it. Let the word of God rule over you so that you obey it. It is our obedience to God's word that God blesses so that our lives will be put right. Study to obey. And it's funny, really, if I look at our culture today, some, somehow it is cultivating studying for the sake of studying. And we have to bring back to our discipleship again the aspect on obedience. Because we lose the beauty of discipleship when after we eloquently and intellectually discuss things, no one applies. We're all silly at times, isn't it? We just discussed in our small group about how how humility looks like. We just discussed in our small group how we are supposed to love. <laughs> and then no one really actually applies it. Until next Sunday that we will talk about it again. One pastor wanted us to show that how silly it is. He said, imagine if my children, I would tell them clean the room and they will sit down and discuss how they will clean the room. And when he gets back, he would say, why are you not cleaning the room? And they will present their plan. This is our plan. This is how we play. We would clean the room. We submit our plan to you. That's very brilliant. Throw your plan. I want your obedience. Don't just study to feel good. Study to obey. When we are committed to obey every word that God graciously make us understand, we cannot stop God to put our lives right and in order. Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate the real value of obeying God, even in the smallest thing. If we value obedience, we might just about to see how powerful God is to change us. A respectable life is a truth-ordered life that commands respect from others. That commands respect from others. Most of us worry so much about getting the respect of others. And I would say this one, you should not worry about respect. You should worry about obedience. Because a well-ordered life begets respect. It begets respect. The elder does not demand respect, but his life commands it. Isn't that true that there are people whose life Commands respect. I remember back 
um, and the young adults. I was still handling the young adults. And we were talking about leadership at the time and what is the effective way of leadership. And one of us said that I see a lot of strong leaders and how they do it. But you know what? He said, Pastor Jess do not have that kind of charisma. But he's, but she said, but his life commands that I respect him and obey what he, what he's saying to me. It's, it's life. Do you want to know if you're a respectable person, which is, by the way, very important? I was told by many of us that we want to preach the word and we want to be given an opportunity to teach. But unless our lives, our gifting is cradled by a respectable life, regardless of how eloquent we might be, we might not be as effective as we should. Let people see that your life is shaped by the word so that they grant us, so that they would accord to us their respect even without us asking of it. May that be the life. We're not just talking about elders. May you be, may the people around you in your workplace actually respect you. May your neighborhood actually respect you. Baka naman kaaway niyo lahat ng kapitbahay. We were talking yesterday, and the last thing that we look at about the qualification of an elder is he has he needs to have a good reputation outside the church. And we said probably one of our application as we uh, as we examine our elders in training is that he will tell me one of his office mate and set me uh, a dinner or a coffee with that person because I want to talk about how you are in your office. I don't know what I'm going to hear. Oh, anything. He's always late. Are you respected where God has placed you? Because they see the peculiar way of life that you have. Because they see your unique life. Because your life does not conform to the patterns of this world. Now going back to the big picture of this whole sermon, including last week. An elder is driven by the gospel so that he lives with a truth-illumined mind, a controlled, truth-controlled heart, and a truth-ordered life. This three goes together. Let me quote Philip Towner again with this. He said, Without vigilance in the mind, we will not exercise self-control. Without self-control, we will indulge, indulge ourselves freely according to the advice of the world around us. Instead of settling, sorry for that, the limits that produce godly balance. We need to have the alertness of the mind, the self-control in the heart, and a well-ordered life. You know what this is telling us? If we want to be this kind of man, we have to be diligent in knowing and meditating in the truths of the gospel until it shaped our hearts, sorry, our minds, hearts, and lives. I think if we look at the day, the problem is where we study, how we study the word. I think that's one of the problem. Meditation is a lost art. We console ourselves and appease ourselves. You're okay, you're okay now. You can move on to the next thing of your day because you have read the word as if the word is confined to 6 to 7 a.m. in the morning and it does not have anything to do with your life from 7 to 8 in the evening until 
you are about to sleep and you could not even remember what you've read that morning. It's a lost art. I think we need to get that back to how we study God's word. We need meditation. We do not even know what meditation anymore. We think if we are struggling with the word and we could not understand it, that we are meditating when we are trying to interpret it rightly. No, that's study. Meditating is when I get the point of the passage and start meditating on that truth in my mind so that it will begin to illumine my situation in life. That is meditation. And meditation should be done, of the word should be done all throughout the day. I think this is what we need to do or else we will be doers of the word. Sorry, we will be hearers of the word and never doers. We are erudite whose life is out of order. That's not what we want to happen. We want the truth of God to humble us and order our lives. So an elder's love for the gospel should drive him to tirelessly study it so that he live his life with a truth-illumined mind, a truth-controlled heart, and a truth-ordered life. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.